With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Vanessa Beely is an independent journalist, peace activist and photographer. Vanessa was a finalist for one of the most prestigious journalism awards, the 2017 Martha Gellhorn Prize for Journalism, whose winners have included Robert Parry in 2017, Patrick Coburn, Robert Fisk, Nick Davies and the Bureau for Investigative Journalism team. No lightweights there. She writes at Substack and provides reports and commentary for British independent news outlet UK Column. She's worked in an orphanage in Gaza, achieving entry into Gaza without papers by the tunnels. <laughs> Vanessa was immersed in the realities of life in the Strip and the harsh realities of Israeli aggression and violence, which was unleashed, as we know, recently and shortly after her arrival. And she joins us from Damascus, Syria. Vanessa, thank you for coming on our radio station, Reality Check Radio. And I, I think we're going to get a reality check from you, is my feeling. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for inviting me on. The tunnels. That has me intrigued. <laughs> well, actually, the, the only slight error was that I did have papers. I had oh. all the papers that I needed. Yeah. Um, but the Rafa crossing, which is, uh, you know, allegedly the Egyptian border is fully controlled by the Zionists. So entry, uh, if they don't like you, is prevented. And I was spun despite having all the papers that I needed. And so the decision was taken to enter by the tunnels from the Egyptian side uh, into into Gaza with the permission, of course, of Hamas, uh, which yeah. is the governing um, organization in Gaza itself. But there, so what actually happened on the 7th of October? <laughs> well, um you know, I mean, now we know, of course, while we are constantly being asked to condemn the so-called atrocities of October the 7th, this was in reality um, a campaign by the resistance factions. And although they are described as Hamas, of course, they're made up of multiple factions, not even only Islamic. There are also the PFLP, which are basically far-left communist um, organization, um, and multiple other resistance factions. I think there's more than 17 within Gaza itself. And so this was a campaign basically to um, take hostages, because, of course, the hostages give leverage to the resistance for negotiation. And uh, the so-called atrocities we have discovered, of course, over time, that the majority were propaganda and that many of the civilians themselves were actually killed by the IOF, by the Israeli forces, both on 7th of October and then a couple of days after where the tanks shelled the buildings that the resistance members were holding um, the hostages, killing the hostages, because that's basically the Israeli Hannibal Doctrine, which is to kill uh, civilians rather than allow them to be taken hostage. So, you know, while Western media and Western regimes that support uh, genocide in Israel are still pushing out 
the 7th of October atrocity line, it has largely been uh, debunked. Because it seems to me, and probably most people who try and take a a bigger view of this, that mm. that um, the, the the material that came out of that was used relentlessly to drive a very, yeah. very incredibly strong narrative, which a lot of people kind of signed up to very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And there's this, you know, this crazy technique they have of if you are interviewed about the ongoing genocide that now has been, what is it now? Um, gosh, I've even lost count. I mean, it's more than it's four months, basically. Yeah. Um, and it's a genocide not only in Gaza, it's also ongoing in West Bank, which is very much going on beneath radar. But uh, entire uh, communities of Palestinians in the occupied territories are being uh, destroyed, attacked, bombed, uh, set on fire. Um, Palestinian land is being stolen. Since October the 7th, there are plans for more than 700 new settlements in the occupied territories. So obviously, Israel is taking advantage of the situation um, to expand its territory within uh, the occupied territories and to expel all Palestinians, both in the occupied territories and in Gaza, um, from Palestinian land. And, you know, the, the incredible thing that the media does is when you're called on to actually speak about events, you are put in a position where you have to condemn 7th of October. But in reality, the question should be turned back on them. And do they condemn genocide? Do they support resistance against an oppressive apartheid occupier? that has been in place since even before 1948 or 1947, when the UN partitioned Palestinian uh, territory, giving the majority of the territory to the Zionist uh, settler project that was established by the British, of course, even prior to 1917, when the Balfour uh, Treaty um, was, was signed, and the territory was basically agreed to be handed over to the Zionist settler project. And people need to understand that prior to um, the establishment of the Zionist movement, which was in the late 1890s, um, Palestine was a territory where Palestinian Jews, Palestinian Christians, Palestinian atheists, and Palestinian Muslims lived and coexisted together. And those Middle Eastern um, Jews are also discriminated against within the, the Zionist um, occupation. The Mizrahi Jews, as they call them, which were the original Middle Eastern Jews that coexisted with the Middle Eastern Muslims and Christians, they are equally discriminated against as the Palestinians. In your experience, just for us, because we're a long way away here, um, how how would you characterize the Zionist mindset? <laughs> What's going well, on in their heads? I, I know well, it's not I mean, easy to do that, but you know, well, it's a little bit like walking around in a in a psychopath mind. Well, um, but in reality, you know, the the Zionist 
movement, even when it began, it was described by the majority of Jews as another anti-Semitic cult. And that is the reality. It has very little uh, origin in religion. Um, there are two branches of Zionism, in my opinion, and that's been borne out by a number of, of experts, including Zionists that kind of saw the light and turned away from the Zionist movement. Um, the first, of course, is a secular white supremacist movement. And if you look at the majority of the Zionist regime currently, they they weren't born in the region. They came in from European countries, like, for example, um, particularly from Ukraine. Many of the Zionist movement leaders. Yes. I mean, uh, Golda Meir was born in Kiev. Right. Um, and many of the IDF leaders, many of the uh, Zionist leadership throughout its history have come from Europe and in particular from Ukraine. There are huge connections with Ukraine. I mean, just to give a very brief example, Netanyahu is a follower of uh, Yabotinsky. Now, Yabotinsky in the 1920s collaborated with Simon uh, Petlura, who was then the president of the first Ukrainian republic, or the first president, sorry, um, who had carried out mass pogroms against uh, Jews and communists. And basically, Yabotinsky and Petlura had an agreement that Yabotinsky could establish a Jewish militia in Ukraine, provided they would unite against the threat of then communist Soviet Union. So, so the collusion between Nazism and Zionism goes back through history. Um, and of course, we've seen the Zionist regime welcome Azov brigade members to uh, Israel uh, on a number of occasions. Um, they have basically supported uh, Ukraine tacitly against uh, Russia. Um, and uh, so, and, and, and Netanyahu's roots, as I said, are in this Yabotinsky expansionism, uh, expansionist Zionism. And he's always been very clear, as is the majority of his government or the, the coalition that he formed of far-right extremist groups, um, that, you know, their intention is to expand Israel even beyond the borders as they are currently. I mean, I think it was in March 2023 when the finance minister, Smotrich, at a conference in Paris, he held up the map of greater Israel, including territory in Jordan. I mean, that caused diplomatic outrage because, of course, the plan for greater Israel is, is something like 70% of Syria, all of Jordan, 50% of Saudi Arabia, um, and, and so, therefore, for me, that side of the movement is secular white supremacist, elitist, which is demonstrated by the establishment of the apartheid state and the more than 500 declarations of genocidal intent by military, by government officials against the Palestinians. Um, then you have what I call the end-time cult Zionists, that believe that in order for the second coming of Christ to come about, the, they have to create Armageddon. And that's one of the reasons why the operation by the resistance was called Al-Aqsa floods, because the intention is to destroy Al-Aqsa, which is the third um, most important uh, Islamic uh, site in the world today, and to build instead a Temple Mount. So what they're doing is, is basically uh, 
accelerating what they believe to be uh, the coming, the second coming of Christ. I'm not a religious expert, <laughs> um, but those are the two branches of of Zionism, basically. Wow, isn't it um, a coincidence that you have this um, horrible conflict going in Ukraine, and that's about, if you listen to the Russians, denazification, and you have this yep. this kind of relationship, historic relationship, which is, I guess in a way, affecting things happening there as well. They're both happening at the same time. It's a coincidence, mm. I suppose. Um, mm. And the second coming of Christ, well, <laughs> hard to top that one. So where does the U.S. <laughs> then fit in in all of this? Because we're aware that many of the major politicians in the U.S. have dual citizenship for a start. So, you know, yeah. who's loyal to who? Hard to know. So why are they all in, given what you've just said? Well, I mean, I think for me, the clearest statement, uh, very similar to Trump making the, the statement that they were in, the US was in Syria for the oil, which was sort of blatant um, admission from Trump of, of what the US is doing inside Syria, which is stealing Syrian resources. But Robert uh, F. Kennedy Jr. recently made a, a very clear statement as to what Israel represents to the United States. And by the way, he doesn't mention the Israeli people or the Palestinian people. What he does is he talks about Israel as a bulwark, a military garrison for the United States in the Middle East, providing interference, providing intelligence, providing um, military force within the region. And here in Syria, we know perfectly well that if, for example, uh, Biden, as as is the president now, um, doesn't want to be seen to be carrying out attacks against Syrian positions, then Israel carries them out. Right. So you know we're quite used to this relationship here. Um, Israel has, since the beginning of the regime change war against Syria, it has um, funded, it has provided weapons, it's provided protection for the terrorist groups, including Al-Qaeda and ISIS inside Syria. And that, that's a documented fact. You know, they were provided hospital treatment by Israel within um, the Israeli borders um, and so on. And so therefore, for the United States, and again, Kennedy made it very clear, he said, we need Israel because we have to stop the rise of BRICS. We have to stop the rise of Iran and Russia and China, because we will lose control of the commodities in the region. I'm paraphrasing what he said, but this is exactly um, what the nub of the of the um, entire position of the United States and the UK is, is that Israel is their um, military outpost. It's their ability to control the Middle East. It's their ability to retain control of resources in the region. I mean, you saw uh, over recent years the creation of the Abraham Accords, which is basically the normalization with Israel by um, what they describe as moderate Sunni Islamic states like UAE, Bahrain, uh, Saudi Arabia that has delayed normalization, but it's still rapidly heading towards it. And of course, more recently, you've had the UAE and Saudi Arabia and Jordan um, provide the land bridge 
for Israel to continue supplying Israel after Yemen, um, basically under the, the, the genocide convention, did exactly what it should do, everything to prevent genocide, and started blockading Zionist ships and then started blockading US and UK ships because of the aggression against Yemen for basically trying to prevent genocide. It's extraordinary. Yeah, well, what about the British? How does that make you feel? No. Well, <laughs> that's a very good reason I live in Syria. Hmm. Um, you know, I mean, one thing, I'm I'm persona non grata in my own country. The last time I tried to go in, I was detained as a terrorist for six hours. Hmm. I had all my material downloaded from my phone. Um, I had to give DNA and fingerprints and so on like a, like a criminal. Um, so, you know, my, my reporting on the Middle East conflicts has not enamored me to my various governments, whether it's Labour or um, not that we've had a Labour government for some time, but there's no difference no, between them matter. anyway. No. You know, it doesn't really make any difference. Mm. Yeah. Um, so Britain, of course, was instrumental in the creation of the Zionist colonialist settler project. And, and you know, this is just really for them, Israel is an extension of their never went away imperialism and colonialism. Um, and if you look at how, uh, for example, in Labour and Conservative, I would guess more than 70% now are the so-called friends of Israel. In other words, they, you know, you rightly ask the question, are our governments working in our best interests or are they working in the interests of Israel and the larger agenda of total control of global resources? Um, well, for me, the question is very simple to answer. They are working in the interests of Israel as right now they are defending uh, genocide and they're doubling down on the defense of genocide despite the ICJ's rather weak um, claim that there is plausible evidence of genocide, etc. I mean, you know, I, I consider international justice to be really a farce, but even the ICJ couldn't completely ignore the 84-page um, document by presented by South Africa that, that provided evidence that genocide was being committed. And the UK and US governments, not only uh, the UK and US, but EU governments, in particular Germany, are doubling down on the defense of genocide, which is, you know, it's just extraordinary. There are cases now being brought. I noticed the other day that Nicaragua is bringing a case against Britain in the ICJ um, for being complicit in genocide by continuing to supply weapons um, to the Israeli regime, despite the fact that those weapons are being used to commit genocide. So there is now, I think, a real pushback by global South nations, by nations that have basically been you know, under the, the jackboot of imperialism and colonialism for decades. Yeah, because they get it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to get on to um, whether, you know, they're on a hiding to nowhere in the end because some commentators that I listen to think that they are I'm talking about Israel and and uh, their fight that's uh, going at the moment. In terms of life in Gaza, I 
believe you've witnessed a few horrible mm. things, and um, I'm sorry that you've had those experiences. Um, what what can you tell us about Gaza and the people of Gaza? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I think the first thing that people need to understand, um, they are a people of such generosity, such heart, such uh, hospitality and kindness. You know, they're portrayed very much by Western media, by, of course, Israel as being these um Animals, these Human savages. Animals, I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and you know they've used far worse terms than that, which is part of the dehumanization process. But that basically, you know, they are full of hate. I I will give an example, which I've given many times, but it it was so profound for me. Um, basically, I think the day after I entered Gaza by the tunnels, we went to Khan Yunus in, in well, it's kind of central Gaza, but heading towards the south. And it's now under, you know, real attack by the Zionist forces. And as we arrived, Israeli tanks had basically entered into Gazan territory and a helicopter um, killed a 13-year-old boy that was playing football outside his house after school. No reason whatsoever. He was just playing football with uh, two or three of his friends. So we we filmed it. We we obviously made reports and we attended the funeral. And I remember going back in 2013 and going back to see the family that was still in mourning. And I remember talking to the father and I said, you know, if you could speak now to the pilot that shot your son, what would you say to him? And he had tears rolling down his cheeks. He said, I would just ask him, doesn't he have children? Yeah. Doesn't he understand? You know, and this is this is Palestinians. Of course they they want an end to apartheid. They want an end to the siege and the blockade in Gaza, which is it's hideous. You're living in an open air prison. And and for, for people also to understand, you know, the, the aggression doesn't happen only during uh, wartime or, or during the time that Israel decides to, as they say, mow the lawn in Gaza. It happens every day, every hour. In the morning, the fishermen are fired upon by the Israeli Navy or they're taken captive. Um Almost every day, Israeli jets fly through, uh, they, they break the, the speed of sound, so they create sonic booms in Gaza every day. Almost every day, someone can be assassinated by the drones that are permanently in the sky. And, and no one is ever held accountable for this. Israel will just shrug and say, well, they were Hamas operative. It happened to me. I was having a meeting. There was a massive explosion outside on the road. And we went out and a young hospital porter had just been blown up on his motorbike as he was heading to work. And, you know, when people say, well, why can't they protest peacefully? What happened during the Great March of Return, 2018-19, hundreds of Palestinians that were protesting peacefully uh, against the blockade of Gaza were killed by the Israeli forces. 
There are automatic machine gun turrets all around the wall that surrounds Gaza. And those turrets, the the meterage where they start firing is changed on an almost weekly basis. So the farmers, for example, working their land, sometimes if it's changed to two meters and they don't know that, they'll walk into the two meter zone. They're killed by the automatic gun turrets. It's endless. The aggression against the people of Gaza is endless. It doesn't stop. And the absolute, um, Israel controls everything, water, food, internet, electricity, everything is controlled by Israel. So it can be cut off or diminished at any time. You're basically, it's been said before, but just your description there. You know, that's like a scene out of Band of Brothers where they come across the concentration camp. That's what you're kind of describing there, which is hard to understand given, you know, what we know of history, that that you would indulge in that. Well, I mean, if you look at the taking of prisoners, by the way, when we talk about the 7th of October and, and the 100 or so hostages, since October the 7th, Israel has taken, I think now it's up to 11,000 hostages, 6,000 from West Bank and 5,000 from inside Gaza. And everybody has seen the images of prisoners, civilians, kids, stripped naked, yeah, I've blindfolded, seen yeah. and, and, you know, and many of them were, were summarily executed. Many of them were taken and tortured. The testimonies now are coming out. There were stories that um, a number of prisoners were buried underground, right, and then were dug up again, another form of torture. And if you go to the Holocaust Museum, you will see that number two, in the key actions by the Nazis against Jews and communists and Romanies was humiliation. Yeah. So what the Zionists are doing to the Palestinians is no different to the tactics used by the Nazis against Jews. In your reporting and journalism, have you managed to understand what the average Israeli citizen makes of all of this? Um, there's a very good documentary um, that came out fairly recently. I think it's called Israelism. Um, I'll, I'll double check that. But what it describes is the indoctrination that goes on inside uh, the Zionist entity from kindergarten upwards. So in other words, they are completely programmed into hating Palestinians and fearing Palestinians. And there are many Zionists who grew up uh, in Israel, they have dual nationality, that are now speaking out about this and are speaking out about the indoctrination and the fear that they were basically programmed to have of Palestinians, that all Palestinians were terrorists. And on the other side, if you listen to someone like Daniela Weiss, for example, who's one of the far-right leaders of the settler movement, from the 1970s onward, she worked, for example, in the 70s with Ariel Sharon on expanding the settlements, the Zionist settlements, in order to prevent at any time the establishment of 
um, a Palestinian state in any way, shape, or form. And that has been the policy of the settlers since then. Um, so, you know, as, as Alistair Crook has said on multiple occasions, a former British uh, diplomat who knows Israel very well, he said 80 to 90% of the population of Israel support the genocide of Palestinians. In fact, they think it should be um, even more extreme than it is. So, you know, as I said, that, that indoctrination, unfortunately, has created a nation of hatred, hatred of the Palestinians. And it doesn't represent the, the opinion of Jewish communities, for example. Even Jewish communities are being beaten up and, and savaged by the Zionist security forces, for example, for defending the Palestinians or for speaking out against the genocide. Um, so it is now an extremist settler colonialist state. Okay, so you mentioned Alistair Crook. Yes, I've heard him talk along with mm. um, others as well. Um, um, I think Colonel Douglas McGregor and um, Scott Ritter, the, the obvious ones. And, mm. you know, they they talk a lot about how Israel can't win this in the end. They, they can't. can't. They can't win it. it, it yeah, yeah it, they can't win. I mean, I mean, if it were Israel alone, it's already lost the war. It's lost the war on all fronts. What country now... If you think of Russia or China, I know China has invested in Israel, um, the Global South, uh, Brazil, and no country is going to invest in Israel now after what it's done. None. The, the only thing that is keeping Israel afloat is the West, is the US, the UK, and the EU. Without that support, Israel, Israel has lost the war. It lost the war. It lost the ground invasion. I mean, it suffered massive losses. And now, of course, it's talking up uh, escalation against Lebanon, uh, against Hezbollah in the south. It's suicidal because right now Hezbollah is, is fighting a war which is not to its advantage because it's keeping on the border alone, um, which means that the resistance fighters have to be out in the open. If Israel invades southern Lebanon, then Hezbollah has the advantage. It has the advantage of the underground tunnels, of the weapons that are hidden all over Lebanon. It hasn't even used, it hasn't even scratched the surface of its capability right now. And if Israel can't successfully invade Gaza, where the Palestinian resistance is relatively poorly equipped, and yet it's still firing rockets, by the way. You know, this war is meant to be against Hamas, but the resistance is still every day firing rockets um, into the occupied territories. That hasn't ceased. That hasn't been stopped. Despite the genocide against women and children, the resistance capability hasn't even been dented by a superior, a way superior military force. Um, well, in, well, are they way Lebanon. superior? Are they way superior? This is well, the yeah, this is the question. You know, the, the actual Israeli military for decades has just been basically persecuting children and, and civilians. It hasn't fought a ground war. And I remember in 2012, 
every single night they were sending text messages saying, you know, we're going to, uh, there'll, there'll be a ground invasion. And on the first night, everyone was a little bit nervous about it. And then we realized it was all bluster. They weren't going to invade by the ground because they knew then, even back in 2012, they couldn't, they couldn't survive if they entered Palestinian territory, if they entered Gaza, right? And that was 2012. And now the resistance is way more prepared than it was in 2012, um, as, as has been proven. I mean, Israel is not admitting the huge number of casualties that it, that it has actually received and the, you know, the psychological trauma that its forces are suffering. And, and the thing is that Israel is in a position now. Its borders are insecure in the south and in the north. 230,000 settlers have been evacuated from the north because of the conflict with Hezbollah. Um, its uh, main cities are constantly on a daily basis under attack, not only from Palestinian resistance, but from um, the Islamic resistance in Iraq, from Syrian resistance factions, from Yemeni resistance factions. You know, it's constantly under attack. Um, who would invest in Israel right now? So economically, Israel has lost its position that it had pre-October uh, the 7th. It's lost its position in the media. Nobody pays any attention anymore because they've been proven time and time again since October the 7th to be lying, as they have done throughout their history, of course. Um, <clears throat> and it has now been basically proven that they're committing genocide and they're massacring Palestinians on an hourly basis. Um, so their, their image has been irreparably tarnished. They have internal turmoil. There are constant protests against Netanyahu. Nobody trusts the military. Nobody trusts the intelligence. Um, those that uh, stand against what Netanyahu are doing are being arrested, detained, etc. So Israel is imploding. Yeah. And as I said, you know, without the support of the US, UK, that are basically giving it life support on a daily basis, it would have it would have absolutely. Um, collapsed by now, and the West is in decline. Also, I was going to ask <laughs> no, you about we that. can't forget this. Yeah, you I know, mean, how, we long, can't how long can the US and you know, UK, <clears throat> and all the other sort of Western countries that bandy together, we're in the Five Eyes set up here in New Zealand, Australia, and mm. Canada. You know that that group. How long can you go before things start <laughs> to blow up in your own face in your own backyard? Already, there's tension generated yeah, by this right. in our societies. Um, it's sort of bubbling around. At some point, they'll let it go. And do you think that'll happen? That they'll walk away? This, this is, this is, we're, we're going nowhere with this. We're, we're walking away. Sorry, guys. <laughs> what, what happens at that point? Everything uh, falls, falls over, does it? Well, the thing is that the majority of the economies are being kept afloat by war. Right. right. So it's in their interests. You know. Yes, it's in their interests. And also, I mean, Yoav Gallant said, or the Israeli war minister said before uh, Christmas, you know, we need a victory to survive in the Middle East. 
Well, they don't have a victory. And the more they push to, to escalate in order to achieve a victory, it, it's going to blow up in their face. And I mean, the recent U.S. aggression um, against Iraq and Syria that was allegedly in retaliation for an attack on a, on a Jordan, Jordanian outpost of U.S. military, which was a lie. The attack was actually on Syrian territory, where the yep. U.S. is illegally occupying that territory and stealing resources and funding and equipping and arming ISIS to carry out attacks against the Syrian Arab army and Iraqi resistance forces. The actual aggression was against Syrian Arab army positions, against civilian infrastructure like electricity plants and power plants in the Northeast, and against the PMU. Now, the PMU, the Popular Mobilization Forces, are part of Iraqi military. So they're part of, of the official military of Iraq. And they were targeted by the U.S. aggression on the third of in the early hours of the morning of, of the third of February. And so the backlash has been massive. You know, Iraq summoned the U.S. envoy. Um, mm. Russia called an immediate U.N. Security Council meeting to, to condemn the aggression. Uh, Syria has condemned it. Cuba has condemned it. China has condemned it. Um you know, shock and awe doesn't work anymore because it's been demonstrated in Ukraine that, that the NATO member states, they can't even, with all the weapons that they poured into Ukraine, all they've done is ensure the massacre of hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians, right? In, 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 in Israel, the same. They've ensured the massacre of hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of Palestinians. Um. So everyone, the, the, the thing is, the West is totally exposed, and its only kind of MO is to escalate war. But how can they? Because they can't even keep up with weapons supply in Ukraine. So how on earth can they start another war in, against China or against, uh, even well, against Yemen? They're they losing. Can't. They can't. You know, little Yemen that has suffered eight years of U.S.-backed aggression is absolutely humiliating the West, right? It's, it's extraordinary. I don't think, you know, we're living through very um, historic times. I'm not yeah. saying that it's not going to be very painful, but the West is being seen for what it is. The emperor has no clothes, <laughs> Yeah, just a couple more quick questions, Vanessa. Fascinating sure. talking with you, by the way. Thanks so much. Okay, I think you touched on the International Court of Justice's interim ruling, so that, mm. that sort of squared that away. Then there was the <laughs> defunding of UNRWA. Um, yes. Which has that, has that had any – what's that um, disturbance has that caused? Is that, is that anything that we need to talk about, or is that – yeah, I mean, you know, the defunding of UNRWA, um, as Francis Boyle, who's a professor in international humanitarian law, made very clear, that actually establishes a precedent that the US and the UK and all countries that are defunding UNRWA can basically be accused of genocide themselves, whereas previously they might only be seen as complicit in the genocide that Israel is committing. Now, by doubling down on the starvation 
and privation of humanitarian relief for the Palestinians, they are effectively putting themselves in the line of fire, right? Um, And this is based, again, on a spurious claim by Israel that six or seven members of UNRWA that that were uh, in Gaza took part in the October 7th uh, operation. And I think it's Channel 4 in the UK that actually have seen the evidence and have actually said there is no evidence. And Channel 4 is part of the media complex. So the fact that even they are not supporting the Israeli claim speaks volumes. So this is nonsense. And of course, that claim came immediately after the ICJ ruling. So it's very obvious. In timing. Um, Yeah. Um, And, you know, of course, it's having an effect. I mean, Netanyahu, there are reports that he's actually... Uh, putting protesters on buses to go to the Karam Shalom uh, crossing to prevent humanitarian aid coming in. And they're successful in that. Um, When Gazans try to get to the trickle of humanitarian aid that is getting in, they're being shot at. Um, There's plenty of footage of this by Israeli tanks and helicopters. So they're being prevented from reaching humanitarian aid. So this is a deliberate and, you know, we're back to the idea of the concentration camps. This is a deliberate starvation of 2.2 million people in Gaza that have already been kettled into areas of the south that are now being bombed. Because, of course, we know the genocidal intent by the Zionist regime is to push them out of Gaza, out of Palestinian territory and into the Sinai, um, which is Egyptian territory, to establish a refugee camp there. So in other words, to take over all of Palestinian territory inside the occupied territories. So the the closing down of funding to UNRWA, yes, it's going to have a devastating, catastrophic effect um, on, on the Gaza enclave. Yeah, Not we, only Gaza, actually, but also in West Bank, because, of course, they are responsible right. um, for the so-called refugee camps in West Bank also. Yeah, we um, joined in on that, and one of our politicians was quoted as saying, there are some rotten apples in there, he said. Yeah. All right, um, just to, to, to wind up, um, mm. and uh, I'm just your thoughts as a journalist, because mm. the media has played a huge part in this, and mm-hmm. I was in America a few weeks ago and you know dropped in on mainstream, and, and they were talking about this still, but it was all, you could just see how framed it was, you know, it was so Mm. obvious. As a journalist trying to report what you see and find truth, what what are you thinking about, you know, the profession of of journalism at the moment? Well, you know, um, we don't have a media. We We don't have a media that speaks truth to power, and we haven't ever had it really apart from a few independent journalists um i mean sadly you know the the loss of john pilger late last year was was a huge loss we we don't have many journalists like that anymore that within uh the mainstream media complex and for me even worse than that now they've become an arm of their respective intelligence agencies nothing more you know, they are there to basically support the narratives, to support government uh, foreign policy, 
nothing more than that. And actually to carry out harassment campaigns against journalists that, that defy um, mainstream narratives, as I did. I mean, I had a concerted BBC campaign against me for almost three years, including, I believe, the reason for my detention because of the questions that were asked of me could only have come from the BBC sources. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so while I can't prove it from, from a document basis, the, the questions themselves, I just laughed when they started asking them. And I said, you know, you know these have been retracted by the BBC, hmm. and yet you're asking me them again. So this tells me where the source of your information, uh, who is the source of your information. And so therefore, they're basically attack dogs for their respective government. Right, they're attack dogs against the countries that are targeted for destabilization or infiltration, and they're attack dogs against those that speak out against uh, the government narratives. Basically, um, do you ever feel threatened or well vulnerable? <laughs> you probably do, but um, because you you're really putting yourself out there, aren't you? Um. Well, I mean, to give you an idea, the BBC actually published front page of their website, a photo of my car um, with a caption underneath it that I was an Assad apologist. So, I mean, that was basically a dog whistle to terrorist factions here. But I, I tend to see it as an opportunity. So I tend to um, thank them very much for bringing more followers to my Substack and to my work and for opening the eyes of more people, because basically most people can can see through it because the propaganda never changes. I mean, you and I know that narratives evolve. The more time, for example, I spend in Syria, the more I understand the complexity. So therefore my reporting evolves, but yeah. their reporting never evolves. It, it remains in this rut of propaganda that they can't escape from. And so people, do actually, I mean, when they d did the Mayday series, which was basically um, a 15-episode series basically attacking me on BBC, the, ma the amount of people that contacted me and said, well, you sound really interesting from the Mayday series, so we'd like to know more about your work. So yeah. in the end, I started to throw it back at them, and I started to say, well, thanks, guys. Because, you know, you've actually increased awareness. You've actually enabled people to fully understand the conflict because you've brought attention to my work and the work of academics that are pushing back against uh, dominant narratives and other journalists like my colleague uh, Eva Bartlett, who was also in Syria with me and in, in uh, Palestine multiple times. So, you know, I try to convert it into a positive and I tend not to think about any risk to myself because in a way I find it sort of self-indulgent because I'm living in a country that's yep. been, you know, targeted for more than 13 years now by the West for regime change and has had terrible atrocities committed against its people. So, you know, I tend to hats off to them really for resisting. Yeah. Um, I'm only here to transmit the voices of the very courageous people that are genuinely on the front lines. Well, anyone who comes up with Operation Prosperity Guardian, you know, is uh, <laughs> I mean, what's yeah. the bloody name is that? 
Yeah, I mean, Operation Resolve. I mean, it's it's, it's extraordinary. They must have a, a, I don't know, an entire PR department trying to come up with these names, you know. Yeah, um, all in the back room. And then and then they come <laughs> out the front like that guy Kirby and, and, and he says it. Oh, God. With a straight oh. face, you know. Yeah, and bad hair dye. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't want to get caught in the rain if you have. All right. <laughs> Vanessa Beely, uh, beaming in from Damascus, Syria. It's been fantastic hearing what you had to say. Thanks so much. No, thanks for having me on, Paul. Take care. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So connect with us today.